daughter has three children. So we have 11, 11 grandchildren. Give me a hand. That is really exciting. <laughs> no, we, that is the joy of our life. We're so, so thrilled. Um, and we're super happy that um, our kids made such great choices and spouses. Ah, oh, we can hardly believe it. We prayed away many losers. Um, and we are, we encourage that when you need it. Um, but today we're going to talk about something super important. Maybe the most important thing in your life, my life. And that is the love of God. The love of God. We're going to talk about the unstoppable, undefeatable love of God. Now, there's nothing quite like the love of God. It's the greatest. And marriage is put forth as similar to God's love. And I think it can be um, when God's love is fueling that marriage. When the love of Christ is truly filling the husband and the wife. And that's a big if. But today we want to talk about how that can happen. Now, as I was mentioning about our children, uh, each of my sons and my son-in-law were very romantic in how they, um, you know, proposed. And they didn't get it from me. Uh, but Kathy probably taught them somewhere along the line. Anyway, Nick had a good one where he uh, started going out with Anna. They were both um, freshmen at SPU. And he introduced us to Anna, one of his friends that he brought to the college group. I was teaching some of the nights. And um, we just loved Anna. And so privately, we encouraged him, yeah, you should go out with that girl for sure. And so he started going out with her, not because of us, but he, he started going out. And it was a great relationship, friendship, just kept growing. And then they come to the end of their senior year. And Nick is, you know, a little bit back and forth about stuff. And so he gets what I would call the bro talk from Anna's brother, his, her elder brother, sat Nick down and said, hey, you messing with my, my sister? You know, what are you doing, man? What do you, what do you got in mind? <laughs> so he's really laying it on her. And um, Nick said, well, I don't know. Are you going to beat me up? I don't know. And so he, anyway, he prays about it and feels like the Lord really, this is it. He wants Nick to propose. So anyway, about that time, um, they were going to have a women's retreat. And it was one of those beautiful sunny weeks in May, like we've been having. And so she packed for really nice weekend, right? A sunny weekend, warm, all that. And it was perfect because Nick wanted to take her to California to go to Disneyland on that weekend to propose. So she was packing for the women's retreat. And Nick said, hey, can I drive you down? to the women's retreat. She was all packed and ready to go. And, you know, um, anyway, he blindfolds her. She says, sure, yeah, I'd love you to take me down. He blindfolds her and then realizes, wow, here I am at the airport. I don't think TSA is going to let her stay blindfold. <laughs> so I can say, yeah, I just want to take her. I've got a surprise for her on the airplane. <laughs> so he had to tell her, we're actually going to Southern California because I want to take you to Disneyland and show you a very special time. Okay, well, she's thinking he's going to propose. So the first night, you know, they get there in the afternoon and that evening they have an elegant dinner at a really classy restaurant and Anna is thinking he's going to propose tonight. And Nick knows she thinks that. So he's not going to propose that night. <laughs> he wants it to be better than that. So he decides, we'll do it the second night after Disneyland. So they have this elegant dinner. It's super great. 
And he takes her to the hotel. She has one room. He has the, uh, a different room. See, I wanted to let you guys know that. Um, anyway, when he drops her off at the room, he says, oh, what a great dinner. Wasn't that super great? Okay, see you in the morning. And he left. And he notices that her face drops. And she's like, she doesn't say anything. But she's really disappointed. And Nick is so happy about that. <laughs> So the next day, they go to Disneyland. They go on the rides. They have such a great time. They're having fun. And right about before dinner, they go on their favorite ride, which is the Pirates of the Caribbean. Right? Have any of you ever gone on that? Yeah. It's really fun. So now at the end of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, there's a restaurant called the Blue Bayou. And so he decides... Okay, hey, let's go to this, this restaurant for dinner. Now, all day long, she's just having a blast because she, she decided he's not going to propose, so I'm just going to have fun. You know, we're going to have a good time, and I'm not going to worry about this. Well, then right in the middle of the dinner at the Blue Bayou, Nick stands up, pulls out a little box, takes the kneel. Will you marry me? She goes, yes, I will, you know, and she, they get all excited, and the people are all, oh, you know, I mean, this is, this is one of those great times, one of those fun times. So don't you think that's a good one? Isn't that a good one? Yeah, that's some good ideas for some of you guys, but. <laughs> yeah, and, and they got married, and now they have two beautiful little children. Maybe you've seen them, uh, Thea and Ella, and um, so marriage, yes, can be similar to God's love, if God is fueling each of the people with his love, and he wants to do that. And I'll tell you more about our situation, Kathy's and I. Um, but Paul tells us that God's love is undefeatable. He says, in all things, all these bad things he has just listed in verse 35 of Romans 8, turn to Romans 8, He's listed all these bad things, tribulation, persecution, despair, the sword. I mean, all this stuff. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, and these are our main verses. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, fallen angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor highs, nor lows, nor any other created thing will be able to separate the believer, the follower of Jesus, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God sent a gift. The gift to all the world. Some people think they're the gift to the world. But it's really Jesus. The greatest gift. When you trust in him as your savior, some of you need to do that. You are placed in Jesus. It, it is by God's doing that you are placed in Christ Jesus who has been made to us all that we need. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 or 2 or 30 or whatever. It's one of the last couple of verses. In Christ Jesus. So all the love's in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus. We can't be separated. It's so sweet. Now, Paul says to the Ephesians something similar, but it's great in and of itself. He says that, that the love of God is not a one-dimensional thing. It's far greater than that. It's not a two-dimensional thing. It's not a three-dimensional thing. It's a four-infinitely-dimensional love. And so he prays for them, just like he prayed for all those who would believe through his ministry, and all of us have been touched by his ministry. So he prays for the Ephesians and he says, I pray that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know 
the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, that word is gnosko in Greek. And if you're a person who knows Greek, as I am, then gnosko is a word that means to know by experience. It's not just a head knowledge, but it's by experience. To know, experience. Now, we're going to explain that in a few minutes. But Paul is saying, I am persuaded or I am convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance. That's the Greek word, pytho. It's a tremendous word. To be convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance. I know that nothing could separate me from the love of Christ. Are you? Do you? Are you convinced by evidence so far in your walk with Christ? Are you having a walk where you're seeing through eyes of faith, you're trusting Jesus? And you're receiving his love? And you're receiving help and answers? I'm 71 years old. I need Jesus more than I've ever needed him before in my life. And I'm so glad there's more of Jesus for me. You know? All right, so Paul, now this is a big change in Paul. Because who is Paul? Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was probably named after King Saul, the first king of Israel. Because he was a Benjamite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, as was the first king of Israel, Saul of Tarsus. So he's this highfalutin Jewish rabbi now. Right? And he believes the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. But he saw no connection between the Hebrew scriptures given by God and Jesus of Nazareth? Who's he? He's a cult leader. That's what he thought about Jesus. He's a false teacher. He's a false Messiah. And then he got himself crucified and good riddance to him. But now he's got a bunch of followers who say he rose from the dead. Yeah. That's a bunch of bunk. And they should be arrested. And if possible, I can get the death penalty for them. He went after him. He was like a terrorist for Jewish believers in Jesus. And he was on his way to Damascus to apprehend some of these people. And take them down, get them before the Sanhedrin. Yeah, you're going to be crucified too. But a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus. It was high noon. But then another light flashed from above and all around Saul and his men. And he was knocked off his horse or his chariot or whatever it was. And he's lying on the ground, blinded by that light. And then out of the light, a voice comes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was like a prosecutor grilling this offender of God. Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, you know, who are you, Lord? He's starting to get it. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, who is Saul persecuting? Jesus' people. Jesus' followers. Those who believed him, which were part of his body back then just like you are now if you're a believer, part of his bride. And he takes it personally when people want to kill his people. And when people persecute, they want to cut off their heads. You know, I'm glad the Lord saves persecutors. 
And I fear for them if they don't. Truly. Because they'll stand before the judge. But he wants to be our savior. And he loves Saul. Think of that. He loved this terrorist. You know, he's blind. and His guys are helping him around. And says, hey, go. This voice, Jesus, tells him, go to Damascus and go to a house on Straight Street. I've got someone there. He's going to pray for you and help you. And then, you know, he's apprehended Paul. He goes there. And then he talks to Ananias, who's a great Christian in Damascus, who's like a leader in the church there. And he says, hey, I want you to go over to this house and I want you to pray for um, this guy that I've apprehended. And he needs help. He needs some healing. He's blind. And, uh, and he also needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias goes, oh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, Jesus, I'd rather not say. I don't know if he said that, but Ananias, he tells Ananias, he says, it's, it's Saul of Tarsus. What? Now, getting a non-believer to do something, God can do that. Believers, they're hard to persuade sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Ananias goes, no, I think you got the wrong guy. This guy's going to kill me if I do that. No, he's not. I've already told him how much he must suffer for following me now. And I need you, so go do it. Okay. So he prays for Saul. Something like scales fall off of his eyes and now he can see. And then he prays for him and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now all of a sudden he realizes Jesus is so real and he loves me. Think of it. The moment he saves that guy, he begins to show him how much he loves him. Heals him, fills him with the Holy Spirit. Then he gets him alone with the Bible. And whereas before he saw no connection between the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus, now he's reading his Bible and he's going, whoa, that's about Jesus, that's about Jesus, that's about Jesus, that's about Jesus. And he's like, where have I been all my life? And so now he's so excited. Now he starts preaching Hundreds, thousands of people get saved. Hundreds and hundreds of churches get started. And he gets to be persecuted himself. And then, if that isn't enough, God says, I need you to write 13 new books of my Bible. It was only half done. Actually, two-thirds, but this other third is super important. Think of that. That was God's plan for his life. Along with these other things, he's talking about the hard things. God had a plan for his life. You know God has a plan for your life? You think he saved you for nothing? No. You're part of his kingdom. People need to know about his kingdom. They need to know it's the only kingdom that's going to last. They need to know that having a relationship with him are the only group of people that are going to last. Have a heart, man. The Lord's got a plan. Now, he doesn't want you to go write more of the Bible. I can guarantee you that. Revelation, put the kind of, the you know, amen on it. <laughs> it's super great. So that part's done. But the more you read and the more you take it in and drink it in and then abide by it. Here's one verse from the Bible. You are his workmanship being recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepares beforehand for you to walk in. You know what that means? He has an adventure for you. He's going to set up every day works for you to do. He'll prepare them. He'll set them up. It's just for you. Here, do this. But we have to be alert. A lot of us, we're just kind of going through our day, you know, going around. You know, that says in Acts 10, 38, that Jesus went about doing good. We just go about. <laughs> when he has an actual plan, a blueprint, 
He has things he wants done. Now, you can go about doing the things you normally do. It's just that in all those things, he's going to have some things. And he wants you to experience them because it's so exciting, just like it was for Bilbo to go with the dwarfs. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to change a few bad guys and bad girls into converts and a new, brand new life. Think of that. That's better than what Bilbo did for the dwarfs. And Gandalf knew he needed an adventure. So does the Holy Spirit. He knows that you need. How many of you didn't even get that metaphor at all? That's like, what? what are you talking about? This is not the hobbit here. But it is. You, you've got something that the Lord is setting up. Now, if you don't know him in that way yet, now is the time. Okay. So the Lord is showing him how much he loves him. And he's setting it up. So Paul tells the Romans as he's writing to them that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. That's what I've learned. After the time that he spent so far walking with Jesus, he's learned that nothing can separate him from God's love. Not death, not life, not fallen angels, not principalities, not high powers and authorities, not things present, nor things to come, nor highs, nor lows, nor any other created thing. No matter what comes. Now, those are generally the bad things right there. But he's saying even those things will actually be turned for good to those who love him and are called according to his his purpose. So he's saying, Death can't separate you. That's the first one. Now, when you study Paul's life and you read through the book of Acts, like I, I had this thing. He said, neither death. So he faced death. Okay, what happened? Well, he did end up being martyr. His head was chopped off for Jesus. But before that happened, in Acts and then at the end of 2 Corinthians 11, the last several verses, if you count them all up, the times he should have died, I counted at least 14 times he should have died. I mean, he was lost at sea. He was, you know, persecuted. He was just so many things. Counted them up, even more than 14. Now, we know that there was one where he probably did die. And that was in Lystra when he was preaching to people in Timothy's city. And, you know, people were getting saved. But the, again, the enemies of the Lord, they started persecuting him. And they said, Let's stone him. He deserves it. You know, and so they start throwing rocks. And they actually stoned him. They were smashing his head, his body. His own. He was knocked to the ground. They kept throwing him. Boom, boom, boom. His body's not moving. He's not breathing. His friends start crying. He's dead. They're crying. He's dead. His enemies are like, we got him. That's so good. Now he writes something in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of an experience like that, where he didn't know if it was out of the body experience or even his body went up. But he said he was caught up into the third heaven. And if you compare the time when he was writing to the Corinthians with what was happening in Acts, they correlate. So he was evidently dead. He was caught up into paradise. He says, I heard things spoken and saw things that not, they're not even lawful to print. You can't even, it's too good. It's too amazing. It's a paradise of love. But then he went back into his body. You see, he was mostly dead. but not totally dead. He needed one of those chocolate pieces of, I don't know what. You guys ever seen The Princess Bride? We have a thing these days called clinical death. That means you're actually dead, but you may not be dead if God decides you're not dead. God decides when you're dead, when you're dead, dead. When you're dead, dead, you don't come back. Unless God says you're to come back. 
And there have been a few like that. It's been amazing. And God can do that. Mostly he doesn't. But you know what the cool thing is? We're all going to live forever with Jesus. Death cannot separate us. In fact, if you die, it's actually the portal that leads you into paradise where you'll be caught up before his throne and you'll be hearing and seeing things that are so wonderful you won't be able to speak about them. Isn't that awesome? So death can't separate you. Death. Nor life. Life, you know, life, it seems like can be harder than death. Things come along you're not expecting. Like how many of you were really expecting COVID? How many of you thought, I really don't want to die until I go through a pandemic? <laughs> None of us wants that. And then you get all these anxieties and, and you're, you're fearful and, you know, you know when's this going to happen? What about my grandma and, you know, this or that? I mean, there's all this stuff going on and, and how long is it going to last? And I'm sick of masks. I don't want to go to my car again and get that mask that I forgot. Aren't you tired of that? I am. But you have to do it. And we want to be safe. And so there's first service if you want that one. You know, it's good. They all wear masks. It's super great. I want one too because that's how it goes here. And some of the people wear masks here. I think it's great. I mean, you want to do what you feel like you're supposed to do and should do. That's awesome. Now there's also vaccinations. And we're hoping for enough of a herd immunity or community immunity. You know what I love about that whole thing? God created us with immune systems, and they do work. Like, I've had COVID, but I don't have it now. How many have had COVID? Raise your hand. Yeah. Now, the first time when I first got it and all that stuff, I, I thought I had the plague. I was like, what did you do wrong? I don't know. A little virus flew into my nose or something. I don't know. I was just walking around and boom. Okay. It's not the end of the world. But for some people, that was a means of passing on. What is the deal? God knows when it's our time. You always need to be ready. But death will be a portal to eternal life. Now, life can be super hard where you don't die, but you just get really, really sick, or maybe you get really injured, or maybe some other terrible thing happens. Maybe there's a, a rejection in your life, a breakup, something terrible that you hoped would never happen. Maybe a loved one dies. I mean, there's all this stuff. Not to mention, there's fearing what might happen. Things present are things that do happen, but then things to come. I mean, how many of us fear what might happen? Even now, we're filled with so many anxieties due to the pandemic. We're worrying ourselves to death. I think this is one of the most fearful things that's ever happened to our country and our world. At least that I've seen. People are having mental issues and emotional it's really difficult, and I'm not making light of it. But you know what? Here's one thing about fears. They did a survey of fears. Um, a certain company took, you know, went and did a census of all people's fears. I don't know how many. There's a, a huge sample size. And, you know, 100% of what people fear, and so they wrote down all these things that they fear or that they are anxious about or that they are stressing about or worrying about. And they wrote all those things down and then they asked them, okay, as they've gotten older and older, how many of these things have happened? You know what they discovered? 92% of all fears never happen. They found that. That things that I feared, 92% never happened. But we feared them and the fear took its toll as well. Now you might say, yeah, but 8% do happen, Wayne. 
What are you, an optimist or something? <laughs> I am actually an optimist. Why? Because I'm a realist with Jesus. Now, if you're a realist but not with Jesus, you might be depressed today. <laughs> Truly. This is a depressing world. I live near Seattle, real close. I went down to that, Chad. Witness to those people. We've all seen the pictures in the movies of rioting, looting, violence, killing. It's sad. But you know what? We have the hope. We have the hope of Jesus. Things do happen. Life happens. Because this is a fallen planet. Are you aware of that? In the world, Jesus promised, you will have tribulation. Now, it's a great tribulation if you're a Christian. That's something we'll mention in a moment. But you will have tribulation, stress, pressure. That's the word, thlipsis in Greek. It means you're going to be pressured by difficulties. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I am the victor. In all these things, verse 37, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. Doesn't matter what it is, he's going to bring you through it, even if it's the portal to death. You know, lately I've been thinking about that. I'm 71 now. And I've been getting excited about death. Not the act of death or the process of death. Just going to be with Jesus. I've been getting excited about it because this is going to be a short life. I mean, it's kind of a drag. You get older and, oh, I'm coming to the end of my life. Oh, wow, what a fun time. It is actually. It's great hope. Because we're going to be with Jesus. And in the meantime, you can sense how good it is by sharing it. By sharing that hope. You know, C.S. Lewis said something really cool, I think. He said a lot of things really cool. But he said that God whispers his love to his children in their pleasures. And God shouts his love to his children in their pains. Like we were singing, you're not feeling it. You're not sensing it. You're not seeing it, but it's real. He's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you right now. What you have to do is believe it. He already did everything necessary for you to believe it. He died in your place. So that whatever it is that people can claim they have on you, they don't. Or that the world may have on you. It doesn't. Because you're going to have and go through and experience eternal life. And you already have it. Because what is eternal life? To know God and Jesus. Okay, so that whole thing of knowing God, pressing in, knowing him by experience, will convince you by evidence to the point where you have confidence. You might think, Wayne, you're kind of masochistic. You're glorying about death. I'm not saying I'm glorying about death. I'm kind of excited about it, though. I want to be with Jesus. What am I going to do? Moan and cry when I die? Oh, kids, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, I want to go out saying, hallelujah. I'm going to be with Jesus. Don't even worry, my boy. I'll see you on the other side. I'll look for you. Truly. Can you have that kind of hope? Yes. Okay, life, death, principalities, powers, authorities. There are spiritual forces that are against us. This is spiritual warfare. You must receive the love in order to fight. In order to be confident, you can love other people. I think it saddens me because Christians are so critical. 
And I used to be like that myself. Very critical and angry. I was raised by an alcoholic. And my present life at that time was my dad would come home four or five nights a week and beat up on my mom. Twist her arm behind her back. And she was screaming. We were sent to the bedroom. And I was like, what's going on out there? And that happened for years and years. Now, my dad had a great personality. He, he had a good heart. But he wasn't following Jesus. He didn't trust Jesus. My mom did. She was a wonderful Christian. She brought us all to a good church like this one. And I received the Lord when I was seven, but I was still mad. Because I didn't know. Is, it, is this normal kind of thing? I didn't like it. Obviously, now I'm not blaming my dad for that. He ended up on his deathbed getting saved. Gave his life to the Lord. One time he told me, he said, Wayne, I've only met one real Christian in my entire life. That's your mom. And I was witnessing to him. <laughs> I'm witnessing to him. You really need Jesus. Wayne, I've never met a Christian in my life except your mom. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Dad. You know, come on. I'm trying to help you here. Don't bother. I don't want it. But then he did. He got cancer. And he wanted Jesus. And he died of lung cancer. And now he's in heaven with Jesus. In his last couple of days, we came to his hospital bed and we sang praise songs to God. And he was singing with us. Praising God. Oh, geez, you know. And now he's with Jesus. But what about his whole life? His whole life could have been with Jesus. Now, because of that, it was, you know, hurtful to us. I didn't know I was angry, but then I got married. In the first couple of years, we had like a sweet honeymoon time. It was just so great. And then we started having children. <laughs> and that was the greatest blessing, seriously, that we have experienced together. And then grandchildren were even better. We wish we would have had them first, actually. <laughs> That's a grandfather joke. But anyway, so what happened when things got a little more difficult and the honeymoon, in a sense, was drawing to a close? That's when you have to really learn to love. So I'm going along, and I'm in the ministry, and I have a lot of pressures, and there's all this stuff going on, and I'm angry. But I didn't know why, and I didn't even know I was angry until Kathy said, how come you're so angry? I go, what are you talking about? She says, you're angry. I go, oh, huh. I don't think so. And then a year later, she said, how come you're so angry? And I said, I'm not angry! <laughs> right? But it wasn't funny. Because verbs, the verbiage that I was using was hurtful. hurtful. Now, it didn't go to the kids that much, but it did with her. And finally, it struck me. I am angry. And I began to pray about it. I went to some friends who are really great in counsel and in ministry and told me some things. Again, I'm not blaming my dad, but it was a miserable way to live. And I hadn't experienced the love that I needed. I didn't see it in my dad, but I did see it in my mom. So that was a super great help. So I asked God, will you give it? Because Psalm 2710 says, if your father or mother fail you, the Lord will take you up. And I asked him to do that, and he did. Now listen, during this time when I was learning and the Lord was saying, I want to fill you every day with the Spirit so the fruit of the Spirit will be love and kindness and goodness. And that's what can come out of your mouth. During that whole time while I was learning those things, the church was multiplying. I was a successful minister. We had a church of over 2,000 people. Oh, I'm really anointed. Yeah, but you're mean at home. Stop it. 
Mr. Big Shot, repent. Ask God for help. And that's what I did. And he gave it to me. And he's changed, changed my life. He's changed both of us. In so many ways, through trials, through seeing our need. If you don't see your need for Jesus very much, you're super blind. Do you mind if I talk frankly? Really, you need to see how much you need him. I'm 71 now. And I, I need him more than I ever have. So all of these things, through all these things, things present, things to come, highs, lows, nothing. Not even one created thing he throws in there can separate you from the love of God. Not one thing. Isn't that great? But here's the thing. The enemy can't separate you. Circumstances can't separate you. People can't separate you from the love of God. But you may not be receiving it. You might not be every day drinking it in. And this is what I want to encourage you. Because if you're not receiving love, you're not going to be able to give love. And you're not going to know how significant your life is. I play basketball with a lot of guys. I like sports. I like basketball. It's my favorite sport. It's fun to exercise that way, right? You sweat. You do the thing. It's great. But I used to have to win all the time or I felt horrible. If I didn't win, I was mad. What's wrong with you guys? Well, now I'm playing with these guys after having learned these lessons that I was telling you. The guys in there late teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It, it tapers off at 60, you know, pretty much. But we're playing with these guys, right? And they have to win or they're not important. Their life is worth nothing. They have to win. If they lose, they're like, all right, who caused this problem? And you know, if I'm on their team, it's automatically Wayne. Because you're in your late 60s now. You're a dud. Okay, that's cool. But I feel really good about it. You feel good even though we lost? Sure. Why? Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. You want to come and hear me speak on Sunday? I would love that. Or we can do it right now. And you know, some did and came to Christ. It's sweet. Others were like, you're weird. You're a dumb idiot. Yeah, sounds good. I don't even care. And that I lost, I mean, I don't like to lose because I, I want to win. You know what I mean? I used to take people to the hoop and just, I could get close to Duncan, but not quite. But I'd always make it. Now I can't do that. I have to shoot from 40 feet out because people know I can hit the three, but I still hit the three in their face. <laughs> yeah. It feels good. And then I can witness even more. I can tell him, it's not me that lost the game. It's you, you dead shooter. <laughs> and you know what? You need something more than basketball, if, if you don't mind me telling you. You know, the Mariners sometimes make me happy. Like the other day, they got a new player. He had a home run and two doubles. It was amazing. How many saw that game? Yeah, see? There's Mariner fans here. A few, a very few. <laughs> but then the next day, I know I'm going to be depressed, so I don't put my stock in that. Truly. I know you're cheering for the, oh, this year the Hawks are going to win the Super Bowl. No, they're not. <laughs> and if you're counting on that, you'll be waiting a long time again. <laughs> but even if they do, so what? You're happy for a week, and then, wow, this is life, isn't it? Rah, rah. Okay, that's for sports fans. What else can we talk about? Anyway, here's the thing. There's only one thing that's going to fulfill. In Christ, the fullness of God dwelt. And in him, we're made full. He came and gave his life. He poured out everything so that you can be forgiven. You can be close to God. You can have this kind of relationship with God. You can have a depth of friendship with God that's greater than your best friend. 
greater than your spouse even, greater even than your family. There's no one who can show you the kind of love that he shows you. And he wants to do that. Thomas Manton said, love is like an echo. It returns what it receives. What have you been receiving all day? Have you been receiving complaining? Have you been receiving thoughts about, hey, why is it going like this? Why did that guy say that? Is, are you, what's rumbling around in the canyon of your mind or your heart? What is echoing forth from your life? It's the stuff you're thinking about and letting rumble around in your brain all day long. But if the love of God is filling you every day long, every day, all day long, that's what's going to come out. And that's what he wants for you, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. If they don't have Jesus, they're going to hell. Do you care? Do you care? Will you bake a few cookies? Hand them to them and say, God bless you. God has plans. He's setting things up. He wants you to step into those opportunities. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for these wonderful people. Thank you because this church is a light on a hill. It's it's your city. It's your light through them to touch people in this area. Thank you that you're using them. And we've heard such good things about them. Thank you for Pastor Rick and his wife and family. Thank you for their beautiful daughter who sings so good in that band. And thank you for these folks. And Lord, we need you more than we thought because there's areas in our life that are being sapped away by needless catering to the flesh and selfishness. So please help us. And also please heal us from our brokenness. Lord, we're broken because we're fallen. But yet you want to heal that part. Thank you so much. If you're here today and you realize, I don't know Jesus in that way of having a relationship of love. His love is not filling me day by day, but I want that. I want you to pray with me to come into that relationship that he wants with you. Or perhaps you're here today and you know you believe and you love him because he first loved you, but you're not letting that love take care of that area in your life that's dominating you and enslaving you. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe it's a lust problem. Maybe it's an attitude of bitterness. There are many things. Maybe it's hurt that needs to be healed. God wants to do that. If you would say today, I need him. And I want you to pray for me. I need him more than I thought. Would you just stand right now? Stand up. If you need him for any of those reasons and others that the Lord may be speaking to you and say, I need him. Stand to your feet and let's pray together. Say, pastor, pray with me, would you? Yes. And I'm standing myself. If that's your need, don't be embarrassed. You know, why be embarrassed about the greatest appetite in our life? And that is to be filled with the reason why we're here, which is Jesus' love and Jesus' plan. He wants to fulfill his plan through you. Will you redeem the time because the days are evil? Let us pray together. Anyone else? A lot of people see their need. Do you? Will you stand and say, yeah, I'll pray with you. Let's pray.
Okay, pray with me this prayer, would you? Let's pray it together. In fact, if you're sitting and you support these people who are standing, will you pray it with us as well? Pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing the need in my heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for those things that have dominated my life that are not you. Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit this morning. Overflow me with your presence. Help me know that you give me the victory. That I'm not battling for victory. I'm actually battling from a place of victory. Because you made me more now. Which means I have the victory even when I lose. Thank you, Jesus. As we stand and sing, Lord, fill us with your spirit afresh. And every morning will you do that. In Jesus' name.